Hello, listener. <clears throat> uh, the way that we did it this week was we uh, recorded remotely from each other, practicing good social distancing, so we used Zoom. And what I did was record my audio on the mic, but then Zoom didn't like my external microphone, so I had to call into Zoom on my phone. And then when I tried to match it up with the audio from my mic, it sounded even worse than just by itself. So what you've got this week is a fairly intolerable uh podcast audio wise i think it's good content wise but audio wise it's complete dog shit so uh apologies for that we'll try to get something better sorted out for next week but for now this is what you get hello bleakers uh welcome to podcasting in the age of covid19 uh If everything is set up correctly, uh, I'm talking to Darcy via Zoom, the fastest growing company. Wait a second. No, hold on. I fucked it up. God damn it. This is frustrating. A modest house, a picket fence, a couple kids, some common sense, a job to pay your mortgage or your rent. All these goals are understood, but misery is a public good, so come and feed your sorrows till you're spent. Well, just to come, the captain said, the icebergs are the dead ahead, the men will keep the engines fed, I have a deal with God. We're at the end of history, there ain't a hope for you or me, when workers philanthropically believe in the economy. But what a feast for tired eyes, the poison earth, the boiling skies, everyone their own despise, remember when the world was wise, we know, no. Be a lot of um, talking over each other because we don't have any visual cues to go off. <laughs> yeah. All right. So your your audio is recording now, Darcy. Okay. Super. In that case, hello, listeners. I'm I'm being recorded now. <laughs> Stupid fucking thing. I don't know why it is, but like scope, uh, scope, Skype, and Zoom and shit just don't like my external microphone. It works for blackboard which is good because i need to use that to teach with but uh for some reason skype and and zoom don't like it no mine's dropped out as well what do you mean yeah no you can hear me but you can hear me through the um computer's own um microphone not through the actual proper one that i bought (laughs) Uh, (laughs) all right good uh so far, all it's been good for is listening to extremely racist American children uh, shoot me on the internet. Oh, good. Well, what game have they been shooting you in? Um, so I tried to play Grand Theft Auto online. A mistake by any... It wasn't a mistake. But uh, Red Dead Redemption is actually quite good. Oh, good. It's a much more middle-aged, middle-of-the-road... <laughs> <laughs> dad's playing while they babysit their four-year-old daughter kind of vibe yeah yeah dads don't babysit their own daughters you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah watching the kid yeah literally uh, just that's the extent of it <laughs> okay, you, well, can, um, you can kill this deer but it's got a perfect pelt so don't fuck it up <laughs> good so you messaged me yesterday and you were like let's do a uh 
uh, no news podcast. Yeah. Which instinctively yeah. feels like the right thing to do. But I was wondering what you meant specifically by that. Well, this is the thing about coronavirus, right? Is that it's a very boring topic and all of the coverage of it has been incredibly boring. Um, yeah, well, boring in one and, sense. And relentless. Yeah, that's true. Mean? Just It's just constant people on the radio and television saying, yeah, there's coronavirus. It's a pandemic. <clears throat> yeah, okay, there's cool. a lot of it. <laughs> Is anything else going on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, so the news, as it were, has been completely subsumed by this corona issue. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't think that we have much to add to it. You know, I'm sure our listeners are a reason no. informed about it probably than we are. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. hearing about something else. Yeah, fair enough. And if we dug through for any other headlines, I mean, I'm not super, like, what's the point in just adding to the misery of the the entire thing, you know? Well, that's it. There's just a couple of points I wanted to touch on first, which are silver linings, as it were. Oh, okay. Yep. So it looks like Biden does have a chance of beating Trump now because... Um, <laughs> that's a silver lining, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you know, we've, we've said that um, Biden's not much better than Trump, and he isn't, but he yeah. is still. Like, you know, if you had to pick, you'd obviously pick Biden. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <clears throat> Here's the problem that I have with that, though. Looking at the the way that the Dem leadership and the Republican leadership are uh, vying to deal with the, the outbreak, which <clears throat> we have to touch on briefly just so I can make this point, uh, is that the Republican leadership, the things that they're promising are false promises and they want to get the country back to work in 15 days just so that they can kill the maximum number of Americans possible and all of that sort of thing. But the Dem leadership, the shit that they keep putting forward is like... Yeah, I was oh, yeah. Say, Chuck Schumer's not actually a Republican, Kieran, but I can see where you... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, they they don't differ meaningfully, and all of their stimulus stuff is like, you, you could get a tax credit now, uh, which you would then repay in a few months at tax time. It's like, but nobody has jobs. <laughs> nobody has jobs. Everybody's fighting with their landlords now. Uh, landlords are taking to social media saying, but our job is running our house, which we get to own, even though we're not paying for it. So. Chuck Schumer is the, um, the consummate modern Democrat. He's really mastered the art of not letting his... Um, I, I think he's actually quite bright, but he, he doesn't let it get in the way of what he wants to do. <laughs> no, no. He reminds me um, in his presentation and, like, style and delivery actually really strongly of Paul Eddington's Jim Hackerman uh, character from Yes Minister. Yeah, it's the same way of sitting, the same hand gestures, the same way of wearing their glasses when they want to appear sincere. It's mm -hmm. really, and of course, um, the same lines trotted out by malignant operators. <laughs> mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, it's frustrating. Nancy Pelosi's uh, moves have been extremely frustrating. The only good that's come out of it has been like. Maxine Waters' proposed bill and generally, like, the Justice Democrats are doing 
good stuff, but it seems like their shit just gets knocked down or bastardized. Um, you know, in in terms of their gender, their respective cultures, their politics, like everything, really. Um, mm. <laughs> they're an extremely mm. small group in the Democratic Party. Yeah. Um, but that said, I think they're still they're still doing an admirable job. They are. There are there are people doing an admirable job in in Congress, which feels weird to say, but. Uh, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. If Biden wins, I mean, it's good that the the economic death cult won't be the biggest economic death cult won't be in charge. Uh, but you know, it'll be bad either way. And some like, have you seen the footage of Biden's stupid press conferences and his appear appearances on TV and stuff? No, I haven't bothered. They're really? so they're they're getting really fucking bleak, dude. Like, uh, not just more of the same. No, like it's getting more sad. He he was like uh, talking about talking about Trump and like trying to compare him uh, to something, and and then in the middle of his thing, he just like looks down at his hands and says, "Sorry," because he's trailing off. <laughs> And then he goes like, "I'm watching this guy, and it's just like uh, it's like uh, watching a yo-yo, you know." Going, that was a stupid thing to say. Uh, that was a stupid way to put it. So like, he's he's fully pushed through to the other side. I think. Wow. I think the Super Tuesday one, two, and three shit might have fucking undone him a little bit. That's uh, that's extremely distressing, Kieran, because. He's most likely going to be the next I know. president of the world. I know. It is distressing. And I mean, you know, they'll replace him with whoever his vice president is or whatever. If they if they do this, he's being set up as a front for whatever sort of grim cabal of party insiders uh, is running things. But it's depressing. It's depressing to see. And like... I don't know. There's a bunch of weird things that I don't know what to make of. Like he did appearances over three days and he was wearing the same clothes. Uh, <laughs> and like just a bunch of sketchy stuff, man. It took him, he was gone for like five days. He just didn't make an appearance. Well, well, our boy, our boy is doing constant fucking, uh, constant, uh, live streams and roundtables and talking to people and agitating for for like universal basic income and rent freezes and uh, immediate legislation on Medicare for all and stuff. Yeah, it's just Probably. depressing being able to see through a window to the alternate reality where things are good or better. <laughs> That's a really good way of describing it. It is frustrating. Um, mm. But, you know, we only ever had a chance. It was never guaranteed. No, I know. Yeah, that's a good point. It bears repeating. A lot of people on the left are behaving as if um, we've, like, you know, our dead cert has been spoiled somehow by a nefarious bookkeeper, and it's not what's happened. Um, mm. um, but, like, obviously, you know, there's um, there's always machinations in politics and... and yeah, weird deals and so forth. But I don't think anything 
fundamentally untoward has happened. Um, I disagree with you there very strongly, but the ways in which uh, untoward things have happened are the things that were always going to happen. Well, that's stuff like, I, yeah, <laughs> stuff like media focus and, and yeah, democracy in the media and stuff. But I don't think like any sort of grand conspiracy is the consequence of of what's happened. I think to an extent it's it's um, a- analysts who've said that people are essentially frightened and are making their decisions based on fear and anger and um, a desire overwhelmingly to just defeat Donald Trump with what they believe is the most effective tool to do that. I, I think that's pretty spot on. I think it is. I think that uh, the people who are supposed to know what they're fucking talking about could easily have uh, helped to present the choices uh, for beating Donald Trump a little more equitably. Oh, you mean like if Jake Tapper hadn't waited until <clears throat> last week to say, do you know, I feel like we're doing the John Kerry mistake again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they had had some self-awareness, uh, Bernie went on whatever Chris Hayes' show is called on CNN and talked about his policy platform, and it's just like he did that a couple of days ago. And it's like, why Why is it taken until now for him to have this sort of platform just on the news, just talking about his proposals and stuff? It's like, well, now he's you know, got a vanishingly small chance of becoming the nominee. I know that that's the answer to that question, but it's just, it's like, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Like, it's frustrating because it's a, it's a terrible tactic <clears throat> and it's a terrible, yeah. you know, because essentially what you're saying is the most important thing to me at any given moment is immediately reacting to the moves of my opponents. And I don't know, like the world's most overrated game probably is chess. Uh, but that's <laughs> the number of um, fucking lazy writers who've <laughs> tried to stretch chess into a story. But um, it's, uh, look, the easiest way to lose chess, and I think it applies very broadly, it's one of the few things about chess that does, is yeah. that if you find yourself just reacting to what your opponent's doing, then you've lost the game completely. Like Yeah. Know, run away from you and you're fucked. And that's the situation that the Democrats have been in for a long time now, not just yeah. when they're voting, but then when they get into office and try to govern, um, yeah. they're constantly just responding. And when you choose mm-hmm. Biden as your panic response to the Trump, yeah, it's very clear to me that you don't have a long game in mind. You're not planning no, especially given that they panicked for three years and, like, you could see them panicking in the early stages of the primary where they couldn't figure out who to get behind and whether their thing was a young CIA agent or whether uh, it was Which the, one of the these woman of colour super cop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, and I don't believe they were ever entertaining Warren as a serious option. I think that whenever she received establishment support, it was purely to uh, suck Bernie momentum away. But, you know, she was in yeah. there as well. There were probably yeah. people who entertained her. Watching, um, watching Elizabeth Warren seriously misidentified her support base there. Yeah. Um, 
but she's she was quite a lousy. I believe she was quite a good academic, but she's a lousy politician. She fucking sucks, dude. And it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating that she's just disappeared and and said, uh, "I'll let the voters make up their own mind." And it's like, well, that in itself proves that you were never really serious about changing politics. <clears throat> because, well, she never said she was going to change politics. Yeah, yeah, that's Ron's true. Ron's plan was only ever to reintroduce kind of pre-Reagan regulations. I mean, that's yeah. really, that's, you know. Um, and, 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 and I mean, that's <laughs> that would make an enormous difference. <laughs> it would, it would, Great. yeah. But, um, but her supporters thought that her role was to be the the, you know, sensible, realistic, younger female Bernie. Yeah, but like it's every opportunity that she's had, she's proved that she's not, and that she never was, and that she never wanted to be. No, no, that's right. She never wanted to be. She's always been a, a um, you know, a capitalist, uh, an yeah. capitalist, and and the fact to her bones, <laughs> her <laughs> words. That's right. And the fact that she wanted rules to come back into the system. Uh, doesn't mean that she's um, any sort of genuine progressive. It just means that she wants it to be less of a fucking dangerous, volatile, out of control monster. Yeah, uh, but but not any more just or any more efficient. No, <laughs> just more predictable. Just more. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so that's the silver lining: is that we have we we also have uh, large. Australians discovering that yes, Centrelink is bullshit. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yes, this is what they have been putting up with for years. And that's been yeah. quite in a in a in a, in a Schadenfreude uh, and shameful way. Yeah, it's it's a tough. It's like a bitter kind of victory, but it is a victory seeing people's eyes open on that. Uh, the only concern i have there is seeing the government try to freight try to maintain their sort of like uh moral stance by comparing the people who were on centrelink before the outbreak to those who are on centrelink because of the outbreak and be like well these people are losing fault uh, jobs through no fault of their own and and still kind of trying to frame it as deserving and undeserving poor but yeah of course. Uh, well, the very fine line that Scummo has to walk here because he has to essentially stop the entire apparatus of the state from collapsing. Yeah. Which, uh, which he'll succeed in, right? But yeah. he, while he's doing that, he can't reveal that he's essentially, you know, completely throwing um, liberal yeah. party doctrine out of the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that this moment is a repudiation of his entire political career. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like that bit where he accidentally got all Marxist and said, people work and they get paid for the work that they do. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Matthias Coleman just doing the, like, neck-cutting gesture in the background. <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> Um, yeah. So that's yeah. Those those are some little 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 specks of silver, um, and we are now going to talk about. Wait, something I want 
I want to I want to cap that off with something. Oh, sorry, yes. Uh, a, a cultural trait that I'd like to give our audience and and you indeed. I've been using the phrase "the virus provides." Uh, <laughs> anytime one of these small silver linings drops into my lap, and it can only be used with a deep sort of uh, a bitter irony. But uh, I started using it when it was like easier to get parking on campus. Uh, at the very start of this whole thing. And then, uh, yeah, every day there's something the virus <laughs> provides. It is actually, it's, it's, it's made Melbourne a much nicer city, I must say. <laughs> In a way, I went down to Hawthorne Shops uh, to get food the other day and it was like the first time that I'd kind of been out in, in public properly for a little bit because I'm a good boy. Uh, it was fucking eerie, man. Yeah, I suppose that's an interpretation of it. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's nice having nobody on the roads if you've got to go out for something. It is. It's fantastic. Um, you know, it's nice that the sport's all been cancelled. I've got to say yeah. that <laughs> is not having to hear about the fucking sport. Yeah. Um, it's been interesting. I, <laughs> But yeah. into a conversation with an extraordinarily stupid man. I didn't realise how stupid he was um, when I when I or I wouldn't have bothered. Um, mm. But it, it it sort of put me in mind of this phenomenon that always happens in crises in this country, where you get the rise of the uh, the sort of authoritarian slob. You know, yeah, uh, these guys who love to do sort of silly Saturdays and mad Mondays and dress absurdly and get drunk and bang on about Australia and yeah. um, it's like they don't have any respect for authority. But as soon as they feel there's any kind of social cachet involved in oh yeah establishment, they just become absolute rats and informants. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's cop country, man. We're yeah, all fucking cops. Do you think of the, <laughs> those first days of the um, Botany Bay penal colony have <laughs> been forever indelibly etched in our bones? There's something. There's something. Because I'm like, I'm sure that I have the little sprig of DNA, although I, I try. I don't think that I do cop behavior. But <clears throat> it's just too widespread to be a coincidence. I think it's There's because, something in our cultural history. Well, it makes you feel like you're part of guys who are in charge right it makes it feel like you're part of the gang um yeah. if you rat on people uh, even though yeah. the people in power don't know who you are and would have no regard for you if they did you feel like you're sort of part of that great successful mechanism uh, and he was whinging because he'd seen some people from the commission flats in richmond having a like picnic um on the grounds of the estate yeah I should stress as well, this is before the, like, absolutely no outdoor activities kind of thing came through. Um, yeah. About, I don't know, what, 48 hours ago at the time of recording. Mm. And I just kind of tried to gently explain to him that housing commission flats, are not it's not like self-isolating in a private home. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Extremely horrible environments for the most part. And um, tenants in those flats aren't always, like, sharing the space with safe people to be yeah. indoors at all, let alone for extended periods of time. Yeah. Um, and it just ended up being this, like, deranged shit show 
Mm. He's basically said, uh, you know, well, when they kill their elderly neighbor, <laughs> I hope you're happy to ride it on your high horse and tell yeah. their family not to be angry with them. Which was, yeah. I had to I mean, sort of, giddy up, motherfucker, because, yeah, like, what, are they, if they're all from the flats, what are they doing? Spreading <laughs> the virus within the flats? Nope. I mean, I can't imagine they'd be in contact with um, anybody's grandmother, but yeah. possibly their own. Um, they didn't seem like um, people to bother grandmothers, from what he was saying. But uh, yeah. <laughs> this is the, like, I don't know, if, I don't think it's an Australian disease. Hmm. Oh, sorry. It, this it was just like the sight of what it was was it was people who were receiving you know government incomes failing yeah. to obey rules sufficiently for his liking, um, but he couldn't see that or wouldn't see that, and ended up making the debate about me thinking it was okay to spread coronavirus, which <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was explicitly not what I'd said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's the inability of like I don't think it's unique to australia but we have a particularly bad strain of it if you will where it's like oh this thing can't be complex it can't be a push and pull between two uh uh opposed points with compromise or loss on either side it's like no there's the right thing the cop thing and the bad thing yeah and so yeah. if the government doesn't make any mention of mental health or like yeah the 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 extreme risk for people in abusive households uh, that isolation uh, brings up, then it's not part of the agenda. And it's just like, well, they should, they should just not go out. It's like, there's, there's push and pull, man. Yeah. Same and with the small businesses. It's also like, you know, this is technically they were on their own, as it were, private property. Like they are tenants of that estate. <clears throat> yeah. They hadn't yeah, I mean, it's not even... I, I, I went um, past Ferndale Park in Glen Iris. Um, what is it today? It's um, Thursday, so this would have been on Tuesday. And it was mm. a watch with fancy lads and ladies and their active wear lolling about and holding hands and tonguing each other. It was disgusting. <laughs> yeah. It also made me think of a kind of Hieronymus Bosch painting and it made me realise that active wear is a sort of bizarre neo-medieval <laughs> way of dressing. It kind of is. You're not wrong. Man, you should see the cafes around here. The same day that I drove down to Hawthorne, I drove past a cafe that we usually go to or that we sometimes go to that's in the area, chock full of boomers. The fucking QPO in the junction, chock full of boomers. So, like, I know that young people are probably semi-rightfully copying a little bit of the blame, but, like, if you've seen the public spaces, you know that the boomers are out in force as well. I think it's fair to say that boomers are probably the most anti-regulation generation in, like, recent history. Anti-regulation against them, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, that's very much what I meant, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, as part of my research, total wanker hour here, I read this uh, this uh, journal article by this guy, Terry Goldie, who, who researches, like, national identities and particularly the interplay between, like, uh, colonists and indigenous populations. Uh, but he wrote this this article on the like essential fraud of the Australian identity 
and talks about how how generally the mainstream Australian exists in this weird uh, between space where they're like they need to have authority because that's how they like justify their position in this stolen land, but their identity is fundamentally anti-authority. So they're constantly like bouncing between these two polar extremes. Uh, and like you see that with the Liberal Party and with the people who follow it, and they're just like, we're just the regular Australians. We're not, you know, uh, we're not fucking like born to rule aristocrat people. We're just regular Joes. And that's why we've taken control of the police apparatus, instituted a bunch of draconian policies and kick down the poor people who aren't just regular Australians. They're latte-sipping lefties, except they just don't have any money to buy lattes with. <laughs> like, this bizarre well, fucking think, contradiction. Just the idea that there's such a thing as an ordinary Australian um, it, yeah. you know, uh, strikes at the heart of the uh, problem, doesn't it? Yeah. You know. I like how we've built our entire national identity on like the no true Scotsman fallacy. Yeah, well, but I mean, what what national identity isn't though? You know. Um, yeah, I mean that's true. They're all. They're all it's a. It's 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 a, a you know, kind of um, disease, uh, philosophical disease. The idea of nationality and national identity. I think. Yeah, yeah. In some sure. cases, it's eminently justified, you know, when you're talking about groups that have been marginalised um, mm. and to a great extent and somewhat ironically that they're, they're sort of, you know, end up with a national identity that's almost um, defined by the... or d not defined... Yeah, I think, like, divine... the. God, defined <laughs> and developed by the um, oppressive group, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, like, that's kind of well, like... like it's not so much like I'm not, you know, I don't like to criticise people too harshly, obviously, for something that's not necessarily anything other than a normal psychological response. Well, yeah. But, but <clears throat> I also don't think national identity is good or helpful. No. With regards to like being defined by the oppressor, like a lot of latter day, uh, like latter twentieth century and twenty first century philosophy is like, uh, kind of built off the idea that things are not defined by inherent properties, but by their relation to, to other things. And like, yeah, there's a lot of writing on on the kind of, the injustice that when people are doing like, say, minority literature, for example literature that focuses on the experience of race or gender or sexuality or something, that there's a really great injustice there that, uh, that necessarily they have to write from this very specific point in order to like, uh, reinforce their humanity. But part of doing that is accepting a secondary non-central identity that is yeah defined by the oppressor. And that that's like, a part of the injustice of marginalization. Mm. That it's like a double bind. And like Ursula Le Guin hated that. She was like, I just want people to call me a fucking science fiction writer. But everybody's like, oh, a feminist science fiction writer. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. But, but, and this is the problem. You can't kind of, um, you can't separate these ideas, unfortunately, yeah. because, because our society is um, in such a ramshackle state. Yeah. It's not at the sharp end of the injustice spectrum, but it, it must be exhausting um, uh, as, yeah. a, as a constant feature of your life. Yeah. I have to correct myself. She said she just wanted to be regarded as an author, not a science fiction author. I um, read the first Earthsea book mm. and I quite enjoyed it, but I think I was too young for the second one. I kind of trailed off. I should yeah. go back. I haven't read Earthsea, but I read um, Left Hand of Darkness recently, and it's a fucking, it's a really good book. Yeah. And, and like emblematic of this, this question, because when people talk about it, they always talk about how it's like about aliens who have no uh, fixed sex, right? Like they, they become male or female during mating season. Yeah. And everybody like talks about it in this way because it's like the biggest radical move of the book. So it gets, uh, gets framed by this one device and therefore framed as a, as a book about sexual politics. And that's a big part of it, but it's also just a book about politics and an incredible like sci-fi world building sort of like exercise and just a great little fucking intrigue. And it says stuff about, uh, you know, like monarchy and power and stuff as well. Like it's a really cool, uh, deep multifaceted book. And I guess that's just emblematic of her complaint is that uh, it gets read as this one thing when it's, it is that thing, but it's also all these other things as well. Yeah. It's but it's all primarily as a woman's response to the problems of her own femininity that, rather than yes, anything else that she's trying to achieve. Yeah. And uh, like she was a big sort of like anti-capitalist and and kind of utopianist, uh, if that's a word. And uh, like I think I don't think it's a coincidence that that book became, other than the Earthsea series, uh, because you can always make money off children. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that that book became sort of her defining book, and it was all that anybody ever talked about because that's kind of what got picked up by the Academy and stuff. But she's got fucking tons of them. Uh, about all sorts of things, you know. She's got a great short story about a child in a basement, and it's like she's describing this perfect society. But the 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 twist it's like a two page short story, and the the twist is that like for this society to be so perfect and utopian, there's like a child that has to suffer in a basement, and it's like yeah, an interesting sort of look at at the export of suffering. In, in capitalism and stuff, it's she's a good writer. I know she's a good writer. Um, I really enjoyed the first um, Earthsea book, um, but yeah, as I said, I think I was just too young for the rest of the series because it becomes, yeah. um, you know, sort of the first one's quite a standard swashbuckling fantasy adventure, and then you know the subsequent books become much more ideas focused and I was about 11. So I just sort of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nah. I don't get, yeah, no, I, I'm familiar with that. So, uh, before I interrupted you and when you, after you said that 
Joe Biden and the other thing with the silver linings of this whole farce. You were going to move on to something. What were you going to move on to? I wish you wouldn't say that I called Joe Biden a silver lining here, and I feel I'm like never going to stop saying it. Misrepresenting the spirit of my claim enormously. <laughs> no, I think I think that's exactly how you put it. Uh, I'll just drop the the clip in here. Joe Biden is a silver lining. <sighs> yeah, there you see exactly word for word. You said Joe Biden is a silver lining. Look, why don't we take a uh, five-minute break, Kieran, so I can refresh my coffee and calm sure. down after this character assassination, and then we can get in <laughs> more enjoyable. Okay. All right. I'll mute my microphone in Zoom and come back in five minutes. See you, bye. Bye. Wonderful. Got myself a cup of tea. <sighs> Sitting here on a beautiful sunny Thursday, Thor's Day. <sighs> Life couldn't be better, Darcy. <laughs> no, indeed. No, indeed. <laughs> I have got uh, um, a nice... I'm, I'm actually uh, very glad now of Dad's ludicrously over-the-top espresso machine, I've got to say. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I bet. I'm. Uh, I'm drinking a lot of coffee. I'm it's a good thing coffee. When, um, when you're in isolation. Uh, mm. I keep looking at the teapot and thinking to myself, some soothing tea is definitely a much better idea than jumpy legs inducing coffee. But, but soothing tea is also a waiting time involved. Yeah. Yeah, and we don't have time. How I'm in solitary confinement, quarantine, lockdown, emergency, disaster. Mm. I, uh, I don't have the time, Kieran. I just don't have the time. Yeah, it's true. There's things to do. I've got a. It's relent. I'm finding the uh, the preparation of meals fairly relentless. With my bow and arrow. Otherwise, Sorry, okay. I won't advance in the hunts the hunter challenges in Red Dead Redemption. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man, I've just had a fucking, I feel like this is dumb, but uh, I feel like I haven't been allowed to enjoy quarantine because this week has been so fucking busy. Well, you've been doing your uni tutoring, haven't you? I've been doing uni tutoring. I've got my annual review that I've had to put together for Friday, which is kind of uh, terrifying. Uh, and uh, released an album yesterday. So, Oh, bravo, Karen. Or rather, should I say, bravo, Leonardo's Robot. Yes, Leonardo's Robot released an album yesterday. Yeah, so it's just been busy. I'm looking forward to the weekend when a few of these things phase out and I can like safely play video games again. Yeah, I imagine. I've had quite a nice week because um, after a lot of stress trying to figure out what VU were actually doing because they, mm. like every authority in the country, uh, gave me completely like diametrically opposed <laughs> information um yep. discovered that they were in fact suspending the semester not just like classes but like everything oh uh, really 
by a week um, because, like, oh, obviously, yeah. they've just realised that they now have to re-rig their online stuff so that they can deliver most of the university's content digitally. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, they've, they've been having, I imagine, a horrible week um, trying to get that already in time. But I've actually had quite Deacons have uh, been fairly proactive. They were also supposed to have a week off, but uh, my unit chair said that we aren't. Our unit isn't. So my week off, which was supposed to be last week, was not. Well, I suppose it's, it's, it's easier for um, sort of creative writing and so forth than, than for chemistry, um, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my sister teaches uh, science and I've got to check with her what's happening because Deacon have just cancelled all practicals and, and are saying that they'll go like online, but I don't know what that looks like. I think she mostly does data management stuff, so she might be able to get away with it. But I am curious about what people are to, whether they, they have to buy a personal Bunsen burner. I was, yeah. <laughs> we could, we could be seeing some um, dog box explosions in the CBD. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Cool. I did try, I had for like just a couple of hours after a day of uh, dealing with bullshit. I, uh, I did try playing. Have you heard of this game? Slay the Spire? No. It's like a it's like a roguelike card game. So like you pick a character and that character has like a bunch of cards available to them and as you go through you like you start with the same cards every time and as you go through you get random ones and you try to build a deck that works. And it's hard, right? I played yeah. it. It's really fucking good, but it's hard. I played it like maybe a year or two ago, uh, for a little bit and I was like, I'll come back to this one day and then I was like, this is my time because I've only got like an hour free. It takes about an hour to play around if you do well. So I'll, I'll get back into it. And I fucking suck at it. I'm no good. So I think I have to put it down again. Like, I just can't get better. Well, it's difficult in isolation, of course, Kieran. Boy, how would it be any more difficult in isolation than out of isolation? Well, because when you're out of isolation, you can just, you know, look at people's cards and things but it's not against like it's not in the real world and it's just against the computer it's not against oh, people well in that case you're probably screwed yeah i think i just suck at it and i like i watched a video to see how like this guy who plays on the hardest difficulty and always wins does his thing and i was like interesting these principles make sense and then i just ate shit four times in a row <laughs> and it's like yeah i don't know it's fucking it's too much for me. I think I have to put it down and pick up a baby game. Maybe my day of difficult games are behind me unless they're Dark Souls. Maybe you have a go at Gwent. I love Gwent. Maybe yeah, I'll just get back into the Witcher. And... I actually quite enjoyed the Gwent side quest, I must say. I, I'm, uh, fucking, I'm a Gwent head, certified I, Gwent head. I love Gwent. I was embarrassingly chuffed when I complete when I got all the cards. Yeah. Well, that's a collection... Of endless collection thing with some heft to it because you can use the things you collect and that's it. Unfortunately, though, it's the classic games conundrum of when you finally complete your collection, you then run out of challenges to use it against. <laughs> yep, yep, and there's nothing to do. Video games actually very good um, at teaching you about the hollowness of um, these kind of external validation devices. 
Yeah. <laughs> the empty quest for personal acquisition. It's just that in the real world, if you've got, like, uh, say, a logistics company empire, uh, there's no end to the collectibles. So you may never confront that central yeah. truth. I mean, that's a good thought. So if only there was some way to... Mm. No, sorry? I was just saying if only there was some way to stop them from endlessly collecting, some way to cap their, uh, ah, their wealth, well, maybe. No. No, because the um, that 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 um, that would violate freedom. Yeah, true. <laughs> freedom to control everybody else's life. Oh, you silly fucker! So, what else have you been up to other than playing Red Dead? I've been doing university reading. Um, yeah, tedious. I I got through commerce law by the skin of my teeth, I think. Mm. BU won't let me see my results because they say I haven't paid my student amenity fee, even though oh. I have. And they've confirmed yeah. that I so I got the, my mark is a block. <laughs> oh, cool. Nice. I also can't see anything from last year, so I have frankly no idea whether I'm going to pass this course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very weird. Um, but yeah, I've been reading my, my current my current uh, thing is um, professional uh, ethics and responsibilities, mm. which um, quite pleasingly the the Del Pont textbook opens with the introduction explaining that um, uh, professional ethics can seem counterintuitive to the general public, which was a fucking exquisitely worded sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, yeah. Hey, indeed. Uh, <laughs> in all professions or just our one? That was like a generously general uh, phrasing there. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's in the front of the medical ethics textbook as well. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mean, I guess in, you know, in, 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 in the Bible belt, maybe that's appropriate for a medical textbook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and both ways as well, because good medical practice can be counter to religious uh, moral authority. But by the same token, if you get a religious doctor, they do some stuff which seems pretty fucked up sometimes. For sure, it's a difficult. It's a difficult, um, like set of structures to kind of consolidate. Mm. You kind of like, like, like it's one of those like, sort of classic bits where you just have to be cognitively dissident, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Public response to COVID nineteen. That's something else I've been doing. I've been um, learning how to play Dungeons and Dragons again, just in case I ever need it. Listener, I don't know what it sounds like, but I swear to God, I'm not uh, maiming you. That is a pure coincidence that the words Dungeons and Dragons got horribly distorted and bass boosted. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Oh my God, that just, uh, there was just a gigantic bass boost situation from uh, from your mic. That's going to be interesting for the listener. You've been learning to play Dungeons and Dragons again. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, I mean, um, I have. It seems like a a useful resource um, as, as as like civilization collapses. Yeah, I think 
but um, pen and paper role-playing games will have a massive return to prominence. Maybe maybe we should start an online D&D group with, uh, with some friends. Because I've yeah. got the guidebooks here as well. I was I was in the process a while ago of putting together a campaign for for a group of people that never eventuated. Excellent. Maybe we could do something like that. That could be fun. Yeah, a good way to uh, the fucking the crushing moment of reality though when you hang up the call. <laughs> and you turn back to your house. Back to the flat. Like, Falgo the Barbarian is no more. <laughs> Back to the smell of my balls. Oh, so you're somewhat in character still. <laughs> yeah, well, good characters reflect their players, right? That's true. That is true. Like all mm. great art, it's an extension of the artist. <laughs> Oh, man. Cool. So we've fully run out of things to talk about already, huh? Well, no, because I still haven't introduced my idea for what we should talk about yet. Yeah. What, I mean, yeah. We've been, for, it, we? <laughs> we've, got, we've been going for like 50 minutes. So we've got like maybe 10 or 20 left. My idea for what we should talk about um, is um, I think we should reminisce about um, favorite pieces of literature that we've uh, engaged with over over the course of our lives. Okay, yeah. No, that's a good idea because people are looking for book recs and stuff. Yeah, but we don't have time now because we've been waffling for an hour. Well, I mean, we could do we could do one each. You do briefly. one each. Pitch Would me a like book, to... Darcy. Sorry? Pitch me a book. All right. Have you read – so this is, this is a difficult one because it's universally considered to be a brilliant book, but mm. also by lots of people not really worth reading uh, for reasons that I can understand completely. And it's Ulysses by James Joyce. Ah, Ulysses. I haven't read it, and I probably never will, but uh, sell me on it. So the first time I tried to read Ulysses, I, like, just physically couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Again, I was probably a bit too young, um, but also the modernist, like, movement gave birth to some extremely uh, a-structural <laughs> work. And yeah. Ulysses is not the pinnacle. The pinnacle is Finnegan's Wake, which is where James mm. Joyce would actually go completely fucking nuts. And as far as I'm aware, Finnegan's Wake is totally unintelligible. But, yeah. but Ulysses is defined by a narrative style where the um, character's internal world is not separated at all from their external world, leading mm. um, to extremely confusing dreamscapes as Stephen Dedalus and Leopold Bloom essentially just kind of spend a day wandering around Dublin. Um, yeah. Their interactions with the city and the people are narrated in precisely the same vividity detail and descriptive style as their thoughts and daydreams and recollections um, yeah so because obviously like you have a, a way that you're used to of reading books mm. ulysses is initially quite an offensive experience and a very frustrating experience <laughs> me anyway yeah. and um i gave up two or three times i think when i tried to read it 
Uh, And it wasn't until I was able to just kind of stop complaining about like (laughs) what I think it's supposed to do. That's so often the way. Yeah. And just kind of, you know, read it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Nice is the best. I discovered it's actually like it deserves all of the praise that's been heaped on it. It's an incredibly beautiful piece of literature. Um, And it's nice like filled with characters who are extremely dark and funny and mm. um, some of the most heartwarming depictions of people I think I've read. Like it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous, delightful book. Once you, yeah, once great. you let go of the idea of like, oh, I'm trying to figure out what the story is because there isn't yeah, a story yeah. in, in that sense of like, you know, an A plot and a B plot and a da 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 They're sort of, they're yeah. technically tears, but they sort of isn't. It's it's an odd one. Um, mm. And it uh, is a book that I now like, you know, it's a sort of chicken soup experience really, which I think is the best kind of high art. It's yeah. a, a book that evokes a, a sort of vaguely warm and pleasant feeling about the world. Um, yeah. Despite also being a book that um, tackles the sort of seedy underbelly of repressed sexuality and, and, and uh, you know, desire in a basically 19th century Catholic mm. city. city. Yeah, cool. I mean, the way that you've described it uh, makes it sound a lot more appealing than the way that people usually describe it, which is... A- dense and difficult piece of shit to read which i don't understand <laughs> why people try to sell books like that but uh, i don't know it's how people sell dark souls and that was very effective <laughs> it's not how i would sell dark souls though yeah but the focus sure. is on like the uphill nature of the experience right yeah i mean it is an uh, an unavoidable reality of the of the work but you gotta you've gotta you gotta give people the butt darcy that's you true. can't just be like, it's miserable, and then not have the but, this is why it's worthwhile. But actually, Dark Souls is not a bad analogy to Ulysses, because mm. if you also focus, Dark Souls is kind of pitched as a part of the role-playing game genre, which is interesting, because it's almost entirely done in your head from that perspective. Um, yeah. And if you focus on Dark Souls as a conventional narrative experience, you would find an incredibly boring, empty world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't like the story and I want to shake them and then sit them down and and give them one of my, (laughs) give them the paper that I (laughs) delivered at a literary conference on, uh, on Dark Souls, but. It's such a terrifying thing to admit not liking the story in Dark Souls, isn't it? Because it's essentially Mm. just saying I'm horrified by the products of my own mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, I guess you've got to be... My brain is given a space to create a thought. I recoil in horror. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. I guess it's, it's similar to the Ulysses thing in that it's like, you can enjoy the game separately from the plot, and a lot of people do. But if you want to enjoy the plot, you do have to stop complaining. Uh, yeah. And there's also you, you the thing about it being the role-playing genre, there's a great little uh, joke there, which is that you have two endings, and no matter which one you pick, uh, fundamentally the point is 
that you don't have agency, that your entire existence has been as a tool directed by outside forces. Yeah, well, this is one of the problems with being a chosen one, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it suggests that a power has acted on your behalf to set you on a pathway that uh, they have determined. Yeah, and I'm, I'm grateful that, that a piece of uh, fiction has taken the, the idea of the chosen one and applied the appropriate level of horror to it because usually, I mean, I can't think of other... Destiny doesn't uh, isn't a great one for consent. No, no, it's not. And the classicists kind of got this, but uh, usually just no, in a well, rest way. Right? Being chosen is usually um, a fairly unpleasant experience in um, in kind of Greek and Roman myth, isn't it? Yeah, it has. You know, there's there's a couple of nice long boozy lunches. Um, but otherwise, yeah, pretty horrific. <laughs> yeah. Although the Mediterranean's a bit nicer than Lordran. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, can I, can I, I'm going to, I mean, I have a fucking gigantic, a friend of mine who doesn't listen to the podcast gave me a book that he wants me to read that him and Very his wise. wife, it's like their favourite book. And, you know, she's read it 10 times and he's read it three times or whatever. It's the passage, which I don't know yet if it's good or not. I I trust them, but it's fucking gigantic, and it's a book about vampires. So I'm really like jumping a hurdle for these motherfuckers. Sounds uh, that sounds. I mean, look, they were good. The actual, you know, Dracula was a good story. Yeah, I like I like Dracula. I like vampires generally speaking. It's just it's a it's a it's a needle in a haystack situation that whole genre. Anyway, that's not my recommendation. I'm just saying that like I will get around to Ulysses, but it, it might take me a while. Well, that's um, the point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can I can I give you a rec before we finish up? Of course, of course. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna start with an easy one, a fairly mainstream success uh, that people. Uh, talk about have you read uh, everything is illuminated oh Jonathan uh, Saffron for yeah um, I have got a I somehow have two copies of that book in the house right now I assume mm. one of them actually Robbins um, but no mm. despite that I haven't read it <laughs> you should read it because like uh, I think Saffron fur like I know that people talk about his 9-11 book which I'm not really interested in and I haven't read and he did like uh, what is the what, which I read some of. Is that him or Eggers? I think it was him. No, it was Eggers. Uh, which is a bit more serious, and he's presented as kind of like one of those detestable New York uh, authors who's full of themselves or whatever. But everything is illuminated as a fucking rump. It's uh, it like alternates between three different voices. It's it's from the perspective of this kid, Alex. Who, or this guy, Alex, who's uh, in the Ukraine, I think. Yeah, Ukrainian. Yeah. <clears throat> and he acts as a, a translator and guide for uh, the character Jonathan Safran Fur, who isn't, you know, is like an author self-insert or whatever. So it, it switches, it alternates between this kind of like uh, very sort of magical realist story of a shtetl uh, way back in the day 
Jewish settlement in in Eastern Europe, and then letters from Alex to Jonathan after the events of the story, and then uh, descriptions of like Jonathan's quest to find this shtetl that his family comes from. And it, like, so two thirds of it are written in this broken English, which is like extremely hysterical because the the dude Alex can't speak English very well, but by the standards of his family, he's the best at it. So he's always describing himself as like very premium, uh, a very premium speaker of English. He talks about <laughs> dispensing currency, and there's all this like great sort of like thesaurus humor in there. Uh, and it's it's just like a fucking it's an absolute delight to read <clears throat> for the first two thirds of it, and then it just slowly builds up to this sort of like uh, devastating final act that gives it sort of the literary weight that people talk about. And it's about like the Holocaust and, and World War Two or whatever, but it's uh, approached from this angle that's very like that avoids all the pitfalls of the way that Americans usually write about that sort of thing uh well it doesn't do the hollywood pat stuff you know uh and it's not dry and it's not too it's not bleak like it it has all of the appropriate weight but it's not bleak to read so it's a it's a fucking it's a really good time all right well in that case i'll 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 give one an open and and have a have a read because i did see the film which was um the film is good yeah, the film is okay. It's not in the book, though. No, no, I assumed not. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been so well uh, received. The book, mm-hmm. um, that sounds like a really solid recommendation, though. I it's great. Read. It's a it's a mainstream one. It's a you know Oprah's book club sort of choice, but uh, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't it deserves. Have to be, it doesn't have to be Ulysses. Yeah. Um, I only Absolutely. chose. I chose. The, to be honest, the reason I chose Ulysses, uh, apart from obviously the chance to ponce around, was <laughs> yeah, because it's such an enormous book that is like a time investment because of the active effort required to read it. It's just an yeah. ideal to get through like a long lockdown, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, good, good choice. The binge watch. Um, because you have to, you have to one go it. Like you can't put it down and come back to it. Yeah, yeah. Completely fucking lost you. Yeah. Podcast recommendations. Um, do you have any podcast recommendations for the listeners? Yeah, I do. I've been listening to uh, this uh, podcast, Reply All, which I think is like reasonably well known, but I didn't know about it. Uh, <clears throat> so it's called Reply All, and it's these these two guys, PJ and Alex, who. Uh, kind of like investigate tech stories or answer tech questions or whatever and the focus kind of shifts from week to week but it's always loosely based around sort of technology and 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 stuff and they have like pretty impressive access uh so their second most recent episode as of this time uh is called the phantom hit and it's about a guy who can remember a pop song that he thought was like a huge song in the nineties, but nobody else can remember it oh. and the internet and he can't find it on the internet, but he can like remember all of the instrumentation. He can remember the lyrics 
Like he has this extremely clear picture of this song in his head, but he can't find any information about it. So the the host kind of like uh, gets in touch with him and and helps him kind of try to track down this this fucking this song. And it's almost like it's all it's all nonfiction, uh, but it's almost like a cosmic horror story because they talk about the effect that this phantom hit is having on their psyches and stuff. And more and more people get roped into it. And stuff. It's a great. It's a great fucking episode of a really good podcast. So that's my recommendation. That sounds like a pretty good recommendation. Um, yeah. I have, I have one called the um, Beckdale Cast. Oh yeah, Jamie Loftus. Yeah, um, but not just Jamie Loftus. Um, no, she's just the one I know about. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, she's one of the two regulars. The others, Caitlin Durant. Um, mm who's, I think, a master's in screenwriting. Um, yep. Loftus, for listeners who don't know, um, is a comedian. Uh, she was yep. fired from the Boston Globe for doing a, <laughs> a dirty tweet. Um, yep. They do a really nice podcast. It's just about the um, depiction of women in film uh, yep. where they essentially they apply the Beckdale test to films but they've upped the ante a little bit so the female characters have to be like in some way actually significant to the plot as well not just <laughs> yeah so you can't just get away with the like the two like a two women talking to each other in a trailer park is absolute stereotypes but talking about drugs or something yeah yeah and technically and they're, they're, yeah yeah, or like, you know, a couple of sort of minor characters in an office at the start of the film. Yeah. Um, so I mean, technically like, you could pass the Bechdel test by having two women walk past in the foreground talking about going out to buy shoes, which is not yeah. a particularly sensitive depiction of... Well, like, I think, I mean, I th past. part of the point of the Bechdel test is that, like, it's an incredibly fucking low bar... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. still isn't cleared ever. But um, yeah. they've, for the sake of their having an interesting show, they've just upped the ante a bit to make it yeah slightly more punchy. Cool. Um, so that's a fun one. Yeah, nice. I like Loftus. I have never listened to the Bechdel cast, but I've heard it comes up a lot, so it must be uh, must be good. It is good. I like Loftus as well. She's a she's a ripper. She's, yeah, funny and a good socialist. Yes, Comrade Loftus is a very mm. a better socialist than I am by a substantial margin. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, all right. I will, yeah, I like the idea of giving out Rex. We're probably, I mean, the show's going to change, right? Everything is changing. Yes, everything is changing during this fucking time. So there might be a time where we can stand to talk about regular politics stuff and we'll presumably always touch on it because the American fucking election is still going ahead and our government is still trying to like turn that, like the drill tweet about turning a dial labeled racism and watching over your shoulder to see the audience's reaction that yeah. with sort of preventable deaths. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to touch on that shit presumably, but, you know, we can we can kind of take it quarantine. Yeah, I think we can. I think we can. Um, don't become an authoritarian slob. Yeah. 
following regulations is good. Um, in enforcing them with the zeal of a pervert is not. No, don't be a fucking cop. Don't let people, you know, touch other people's eyeballs, but don't be a fucking cop. <laughs> you know what that means in your heart, and it's not just about following advice. Hmm. We should try, uh, I, Zoom seems like a fucking nightmare to me. We should try different platforms until we find the best one, I think, for, for running these things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know Hangouts. very much about technology. I do have a Google account, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah I do. Well, you've, got a, you've got a Gmail address. So I am very good at computers. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, I believe it. Um, yeah, we'll be able to find out some 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 better. I think so. I, I, and that now we've got our quarantine blather out of the way. Next episode, we can have a bit more fun, be a bit more yeah. engaged. Yeah, it'll be good. All right. Lovely to talk to you, Darcy. Genuinely. Uh, I know we're all going a bit mad, so lovely to talk to you. <laughs> lovely to talk to you too, Kieran. And thank you for staying with us, listener. Yeah, thanks for checking in. We'll be, I mean, we'll probably be more regular now that we're fucking quarantined than before. Because <laughs> all we've got to do is fucking call each other, basically. But uh, yeah, yeah, with only a very, very slight drop in quality, let's be honest. <laughs> Uh, yeah, in some cases, the obfuscation of like digital distortion might actually be an improvement. Uh, <laughs> all right, listener, stay safe. Stay Love you. Take care. I'll put a if Leonardo's robot song from the album. Uh, do so at uh, weaknessforbleakness at gmail.com. No tricks with yep. the spelling. No tricks. What's the name of your of Leonardo's robot's new album, Kieran? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, it's called Something Terrible Will Happen. <laughs> I didn't know about this ahead of time, but... <laughs> Your attitude uh, was bound to sync up with reality at some point, Kieran. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it feels. And my uh, my annual review, which I had to do for this week for, for the thing, my thesis is about the idea of the apocalyptic sublime, which is a academic wanker term for, like, everybody feeling yeah. doomed. yeah. So this year, I haven't really done any meaningful academic work in the last year. I've just done creative stuff. So this year, I'm just like basically reiterating my ideas, but angrily and saying I feel vindicated. So, you know, pessimism has terrible payoffs occasionally. Vindication is the best uh, feeling, though. It's worth it. Yeah. It's worth an yeah. apocalypse if you get some vindication. Well, they can't knock me back. They can't knock me back for being correct about this a year ago purely by chance. <laughs> so, no, you know, easy straight. Um, yeah, I'll put a I'll put a song from the from something terrible will happen, which you can get at leonardo'srobot.bandcamp.com or any streaming service. I'll put the first track called "Where to Begin" at the end of this. Well, that'll be a good reward for everyone for having sat through it. <laughs> I think it was all right. Uh, uh, okay, dokie. Okay. It's, it's, it's a bye-bye from me. See you bye, Kieran. See you bye, listener. See you bye, Darcy. Later. Later.
Goodbye.